Let's just stay right here for a moment. This song is beautiful. It's perfect for the mind of God right now. That our life is His. We give up our rights to rule our life, to direct our life. Father, our life is in Your hands. Lead us where You desire. Walk us where You want. Our life belongs to You. And in you, we'll find all that we need. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. For those who are concerned about lack, concerned about their calling, Father, for those who are concerned about finishing their course, Lord, we belong to you. We put our faith in you, not in our circumstances, not in what we can see, but in your promise. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. How many agree that you belong to him? Your life's in his hands. Thank you, Lord. I remember when I was starting out as a young preacher, I was a youth pastor. I was only a couple years older than the young people, but I was still became a pastor. And um, many years later, I'd travel back home and visit some of the youth who were growing up now. And here I was following God, obeying God. And I didn't have a house. I had a beat up old car, 250,000 miles on it. No wife, no kids, really no ministry of my own. And here they were in nice houses, cars, families, everything developing. And it dawned on me, wait a minute. I'm running behind, (laughs) you know. These are the young people that I pastored. Here they are living like adults. I still felt like a kid. I still feel like a kid. And what I had to come to in conclusion for myself was that he's all I need. And the signposts of life that we look to, to reflect back to us that we're successful. At this age, you have to have this. At this age, you must have this in order or else you're failing or being irresponsible. You have to throw those away and say, God, I'm yours. Wherever that takes me, you're what I need. You're the the answer to every question I have. Say that with me. God, you're the answer to every question I have. Now think about that. Every question you're going to face in life, every need, every concern for loved ones, for your future, for your calling, every question you have, God already has an answer for it. In fact, if you go back about a billion years, you'll find out that he already had the answer worked out for you back then. That's how amazing he is. He's already worked out every answer you need, and he's placed it in front of you. I was complaining. I said, God, I have family in Canada, and I have family, you know, 2,000 miles away, and you have me down here in Tennessee at the time. And I said, Father, I should be living there. My mom would remind me that every three months or so. Father, I should be living there. I can get them all in church. I got nephews now and nieces and and I like to see them all going serving God. I could do that. Why am I so far away? And his answer to me was, every prayer you're ever going to make is answered on the path that I put you on. See, he's that smart that he has included the answers you'll face to the questions you'll ask. The answer's already included on the path that he's laid out before you. And many of us get a little bit anxious when we begin to look at circumstances and they don't line up with the signposts that normal people have, you know. And let's be clear, if you're going to marry a man or woman of God, you're going to have to give up rights. You're going to have to give up those signposts. If you're going to be married to a man or woman of God, you're going to be fighting all the time. Because when you follow God, that's what you follow. If you're married to someone... And one of you says, no, I want this signpost and this signpost, and you fight for that. Sometimes the direction of God leads your family down a different path. And we need to yield over to God in those things.
this last week, or actually this last month, I've been catching God speaking to me. It's almost like it's, he's having a conversation with parts of me. It's like he's snooping around in areas that I didn't know he'd be snooping around in. And I could hear him. It's so subtle. I'm, I'm trying to describe it, but it's so subtle. There's, it's like the, he's having a conversation deep down somewhere about things in my life. And he's beginning to nose around in areas that he's starting to fine-tune. Does that make sense? You have the same kind of thing? Like, wait a minute, what are you doing down there? What are you doing in that area of my life? You know, And he knows you better than you know yourself. Hallelujah. And I've also found myself changing the way I word things lately. Like, It's like when you get down this path of praying in the Holy Ghost, there's a fruit that comes from praying in the Holy Ghost. As you pray things, the Holy Ghost begins to lead you into things, down his plan, down his path. Because isn't praying in tongues one of the ways you pray the perfect will of God for your life? And see, I used to take credit for it. Like, I have decided to give this up. I have decided to go there. I'm being corrected by the Holy Spirit in the way that, no, I've just prayed and this is the fruit of the prayer. I don't believe, if I can put it this way, I believe it's very, 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 very difficult for a person to overcome their flesh, to face their flesh. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about all the directions that your natural man wants to take you in life without praying in the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost will take you down a perfect path that on that path is every answer to every question you'll need. And the Holy Ghost believes in you. Believes that you have a call. That there's no one ever on this earth that's been more important than you to God. There's no calling on this earth that's been more important than your calling. It's easy to hide in a crowd and be part of a crowd, part of a movement. But when you get alone, it's you and God. And you find out that He wants you to grow up in Him the same way as everyone else does. Can you say amen to that? I think I'm going to start in John chapter 13 today. This is where Jesus began to wash their feet after they had the Last Supper. He comes up to Jesus. We'll start in verse 8. Peter and Jesus. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Then I always love Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, also my hands and my head. You know, that's, I know some people like this. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And this is where Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer, Judas. But I want to look in here. Gary said something preached today beautiful message and one of the things he kept saying was knowledge is not enough and how you have to seek more than just the knowledge and I've had that same theme on my heart all day so I feel that's where God wants us to go Stacy's singing the song that goes with it so I'm a little sharp that way okay I can see the direction God wants to to go for us let me just pause and say don't get frustrated or don't allow yourself to be frustrated because you don't see the things you think you need to see. When we take the signposts of the world, the signposts of the world are at a certain age, you're married at a certain age, and that depends which culture you're from. In Brazil, the girls don't get married till they're 30-something. You know, that's kind of more common. But if you're of the Russian clan, you usually get married by the time you're 17 or you're behind the time. You're an old maid at 19, you know. And uh, so your culture can determine those signposts. So by a certain age, you have to have a career, an education, so much money saved up, a house, a car, a success, all those things. And then we have the same thing in the Christian world, that at a certain time you should be witnessing to this many people, sharing the gospel this many times, praying for this many people. You should have this much success if you're called. You should be walking in your calling. 
When the Holy Ghost, when you pray in tongues, you pray the perfect will of God. What that means is God has a plan for you. Now, he's laid this plan out a billion years ago or so or longer because he knew you then, even though you just know him now, he knew you then. And he laid out a plan for you. And in that plan, it's like a pathway that's perfect for you. It's not perfect for me. If I follow that plan, I'm going to miss it if I try to follow your plan. And so it's a different pathway. In that path that the Holy Spirit lays out for you, there's also strength for you to walk it out. And maybe you've been torn before in decision-making, and you feel, I know God's telling me to do this, but it doesn't make sense. Have you felt that before? And then you have to make a choice. Do I go with it, or do I do what I know I want to do? And I use the signposts. Well, look, I should have the signposts. This should be success, and it's a different path than what God has for you. So as we pray out our path by praying in the Holy Ghost, He's really walking with you a perfect will for you. And so there has to be a trust that you have in the path that you're on. The path that the Holy Spirit has me on. And others around you will say, hey, you know, you're at the age. And they may take a signpost from the world or a signpost from typical Christianity and say, I'm noticing in your life that you haven't met these signposts yet. And usually this is when they've already made those signposts. You know, I passed that sign like six years ago. So I'm going to tell you how to pass that sign in your life. Is this making sense? Because they've walked past it, they feel empowered to teach you. It's like when... Uh, people start a diet. You know, you know some people, and I'm not pointing fingers at myself, who maybe start a diet their whole life. You know them, they're always trying to diet. And they start to preach to you right after they start the diet. You know, it's like you've only been on for six minutes. And now you're telling me what I should be doing? You know? Well, people like to find someone to listen to them sometimes. And they use, sometimes they use the signpost in their life to justify, I'm going to preach to you how you can have what I have. Yeah, I notice you don't have enough finances or you, you know, your church is too small or all the things that they have success in either from the natural world or from the American Christian type world. Well, let me tell you how to fix it, because they have success, but their success comes from the world or from religion. You are on a path that's unique, that's never been laid out before for anyone, ever. No one in the world has ever walked the path that God's going to have you walk down. Now, our doctrine will end up being the same if we have the same teacher. Our heart to serve God and lay our life down for God will be the same, because we have the same guide, the same helper, the Holy Spirit. But the steps that you take, the Holy Spirit has laid out specific steps for you that are going to be foreign to anyone else in your life. So don't get frustrated when you don't see yourself walking in a signpost and don't let other people use their signpost to tell you how you should live. We're going to look at two different guys today who had Two different paths. They ended up similar, but they had two different paths. I was praying years ago when I read this about some questions I had. And one of the questions I had was, John, the loved one, John, when he ended, his life ended, it was with old age. But all the other disciples were martyred. And I remember reading some of this, and God instructed me, he said, Well, the reason why John didn't have to be martyred, they tried to boil him with with oil, if you remember the history, and he couldn't die. He died with old age. But yet all the other disciples died as a martyr, a horrible death, being a martyr. Now, they had to go willingly. In other words, a martyr is not when a life is taken. When someone comes in and just 
kills people and says it randomly, and you have to be a Christian, it doesn't mean you're a martyr. A martyr, I believe, technically is more along the lines of you willingly give your life over to be killed for the gospel's sake. You make a choice to not deny Christ, and your life is taken from you. But it's your choice. God asked all the other disciples to die a horrible death. To them, I don't think it was horrible. But to us from the outside, it looks horrible. You know, Peter was hung upside down by his request, as far as history says. All the disciples died a martyr. And I asked God, well, why did John not have to be a martyr, but the other disciples? And the Lord told me that, well, because at the cross, John was the only one who didn't run out of fear of death. All the other disciples hid. Mary was there and John was there, but the other disciples ran away. And so that's why he didn't have to be a martyr. And I said, well, are you punishing the other disciples for failing then? Like, you sucker, going to run from me at the cross, now you're going to die. Is it a punishment? And the Lord corrected me and said, no. I was honoring them by giving them a chance to face the area that they ran from before, but this time to win. See, John was already a martyr in his heart when he went to the cross. In other words, he had already died to his right to live. That's why he was able to go to the cross and stand there with Jesus. Because he'd already died in his heart. To take my life or not, it don't matter. My life is over, God. You're all I care about. But the other disciples had protection of their life. They failed out of fear of dying. So the way the Lord taught me was that he had honored them by giving them the opportunity to face that fear of death again, and this time they would win. So they went and they entered into heaven. They can say, I beat the enemy at every area he tried on me. And see, you'll find it puzzling for yourself when you go around the mountain where God will bring things around, things you try to avoid. If the Holy Spirit brings something in your life for you to deal with, it's best you deal with it now when he tells you to. Don't go snooping for areas that you should fix because you'll find too many areas and you'll get scared. Let him lead you and bring things up to you and say, now I want you to deal with this. I want you to forgive this one. I want you to to walk this way. And as he does, it's best to deal with it now because if you try to avoid it, if you say, oh, I'm not ready yet, well, who knows better if you're ready, you or the Holy Spirit? I'm not ready yet. Yes, you are. You are ready. Because he says you're ready. It's best you face it then and deal with it when it's in front of you. Because if not, it'll come back around. (laughs) And it'll always come back around until you deal with it. Many people stay stuck in that loop because they feel the fight between their flesh, their natural man, and their inner man. In obeying God, they begin to resist letting go of things. If you don't let go of it, God can't give it to you. Whatever God gives you, the devil can't take away. But whatever you control or make happen in your life, the enemy could come and take it away from you. So I said, God, why is it that you let all the other disciples be martyrs and not John? And he said, I was honoring them. And so we're going to read here, just to bounce her a little bit back and forth. Let's look over in chapter 13. We're going to stay in there. Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Now he's talking about, I believe here, talking about heaven. The son of God. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I love Peter. I'll lay down my life for your sake. See, Peter at this moment thought he had it in him to lay his life down for God. He boldly said it, I'll do it, I love you that much, God. If we try to face a mortification without the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe you're setting yourself up for a very difficult fight. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you down the path 
of mortification, then he will help pick the fights for you. See, if we start to snoop around in our life and, and into the, all the areas of your life and try to find all the areas that don't line up with the Word of God, your list may be longer than you think. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to walk you down His path, He will take you gently and lovingly and with strength, step by step, to face things, to let things die, to overcome. Or you look back and say, wow, I've changed. I'm not the same man that I used to be. And that's a beautiful statement. In fact, that's really an impossible statement. When you can say, I'm not the same person I used to be. Most of the world can't say that. That's the power of praying in tongues. That's the importance of praying in tongues and allowing the Holy Spirit to lay out his path for you. I remember the time when I had to make a strong choice. That's why we call him Jehovah Sneaky, because I followed him and didn't realize that as I was following him, I was putting to death the old me. And when it came time to face that giant I had to face, I wanted to resurrect the old me, the one who used to be able to fix it, just take care of it, walk through it. And I couldn't find him. I couldn't find him. Like, where did he go? And Jehovah Sneaky had walked me down this path where slowly I let go of my ability to fix it until I got to the place where I couldn't find it to fix it. Then he said, now I want you to face this problem. And so instead of facing the fear in me before, I would just fix all the circumstances around it. So the fear would go away because I was in control of the circumstances. Many people live like that where they have all everything around them is perfect in place and they seem happy. But all you have to do is go knock over one thing, and then they're, they're all messed up. Because the only reason they're at peace is because everything's in perfect place. Well, the impossible, the walking with God in the impossible means that you're not in control. And you have to be okay and safe not being in control. You have to be safe with knowing he's in control. I'm okay because my father is with me. And that takes time for all of us to get there. You can say like Peter, I can do it. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go to death for you, God, until you face it. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute. I thought I was ready to go. Many people out of zeal and hunger and passion make great claims to God. I being one of them and found that I needed the help of the Holy Ghost not just to show me what I needed to face, but to give me the strength to face it and to help get rid of all my other options (laughs) so that I had to face it. So we want to look at today why John, at this moment when Peter said, I'll die for you, verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. So Peter's Mark is, I'm ready to lay down my life for your sake. You know, Pastor Dave used to call it willpower, that you're going to try to serve God with straight, raw willpower. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then you face something of the impossible, and you find yourself on the losing end. Even though your heart and desire was to conquer it and do it. Willpower is your decision to follow God. Praying in the Holy Ghost is his decision to lead you down a path. It's so different, completely different. But they look similar. The problem with willpower is your willpower will run out. It always does. It never fails. It will run out. I can take... uh, the strongest man in this room and, and give him a, a, my Bible and say, hold this. And he can hold it all day long. Look how strong he is holding that Bible. Come here, Harrison. Here's my strapping, taller than me, 15-year-old. Connor, why don't you come too? We need, we need the, Connor the entertainer coming up here. So 
Harrison's pretty tough. Harrison, I'm going to let you hold my Bible. And see, look how strong this boy is. Look at that. Go ahead and lift it up and down. And look at him like lifting weights. If you could just see the muscles underneath that jacket of his. So he's strong. He's a young man. He's strong. And so when you're young and you, you think you're strong, you could try to achieve things. But now let's give him a little more. Uh, Connor, why don't you jump on Harrison's back? Okay, see, he can handle this. See this? My son, the mighty Harrison, can carry Connor the entertainer around and do pretty good. And this is many of us when we try to face things. Oh, it's so hard, but I did it. But really, when, when the Holy Ghost says, I want you to let this go. And I'm preaching this because I feel the Holy Ghost is asking many of us to let the unfamiliar go. Or how do I say it? What most people don't let go of in life. The Holy Ghost is starting to ask some of us to let go of things that most people, most Christians don't ever have to let go of. Because he's snooping around in areas that you didn't realize you had. Is it getting hard on the mighty Harrison? Karen Itty Bitty Connor here? Well, let me see. Richard, why don't you come, if I can borrow you for a second. See, Harrison can carry, carry Connor around for a while. It's possible. But let's, Richard, will you jump on the back of Connor and Harrison? <laughs> now, Richard's a full-grown man. He's going to jump on the back of Harrison and Connor. And we're going to watch how strong Harrison really is as he crumbles to the floor and crashes to the ground. Thank you, guys. Give them a big hand clap. Well, this is along the lines of what the Holy Ghost hears you say when you say, oh, I don't need you. Now, you may not say that, but when you live a life without praying in tongues, that's really what you're saying. I'm able to decide how to serve God the right way because I'm strong enough. But really, that's an argument of control from your flesh versus submission by your spirit. Your inner man. When you face things that are, you think you're strong enough to overcome, but you find out you're not. Because life, the devil, even your own flesh will sabotage you and wear you down until you give up. Many Christians give up. I believe I read and heard there's about 400 preachers a week that quit full-time ministry in America. All started off with training, Bible school, learning, passion. They came to the end at one point. The only reason I haven't come to an end in ministry is because of the Holy Ghost. The only reason you haven't come to an end of this path is because of the Holy Spirit. But if you build it on your own strength, you'll find that even though you're trying to do good things for God... That's a whole different thing, as Gary said this morning, as letting God do things through you. If you're not praying a lot in the Holy Ghost, really you're making an argument to say, I got it, God. I know where you want me to go. I'll get there. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. How quick of a turnover is that? I'm going to lay my life down for you, uh, Peter, by uh, in about 13 hours, you have already denied me three times. You know, nice try. And so many of us are self-deceived in our own strength. And the further I go with the Holy Spirit the more I'm relying on his strength and not my own strength. In fact, many times when he tells me to face things, I go into the situation saying, I'm not strong enough. (laughs) I'm not ready, God. Not me, someone else. Why me? I'm not strong enough. I'm not ready. And all I hear from him is, come on. I picked a fight for you. Let's go. The fight that we have to face is with our own self. He can't fight it for us, but he can prepare us to win so we can overcome. And just when you think you're ready, 
he comes up with more. No, you're not ready yet. No, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. No, you're not ready yet. I'm ready, I'm ready. No, you're not ready yet. I remember when we had the miracle services break out when I was in Hopeville, California. I always go back to that because that was such a powerful week in my life. I, I was just going to do one Sunday service, and all of a sudden we had miracle after miracle in that Sunday service. Bobby was there all those years ago, sitting in the crowd. And we had a, such a great, powerful service that Sunday that I stayed for the whole week, and we had multiple miracles. And it, it, was, it wasn't like it was hard. It was like, it was easy there was no making it happen or no getting people excited. It was just, I mean, I was snapping my fingers and pointing my fingers at people and they're being healed and falling out. And that's why I loved Bob because he'd stand up and you'd, you'd point your fingers at him like you shot him. And he'd fall back and take out five or six rows with him. And I left there thinking, this is it. Alan Taylor Ministries International. Dun, 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 dun. You have to have the international to be make sure everyone knows. I'm available international, you know. Been to Canada. I'm international. <laughs> I made a phone call to uh, England international. You know, that was my thought. I'm Alan Taylor in ministry. It's time. It's time. And then I went to Texas. I had to do a a TBN interview in Texas, and I had a service there. So I left that church in Hopeville and went to Texas. And it was the same. The miracles flowed. And I mean, I'd wave at the crowd, and the whole front row would just fall out under the power. And I was learning how to move like that. And the Lord told me. The Lord came to me right then when I was thinking, I'm done. I'm, I'm done this season of my life, and now God's launching me forward. The problem was I knew that I was lacking in the character. And I always wanted to be respected for my character as much as my anointing. Where a lot of church folk want to give you special props for being anointed. But they want to dismiss your character. Well, in Scripture, all leadership is the character that's important. Characteristics of holiness, characteristics of not as worldly, not the anointing. When Paul told Timothy, you know, this is, this is how you choose your elders. They have to be the husband of one wife. They have to be sober, sober-minded, gentle. They have to be kind. They have to have their house in order. There was no mention in there of anointed. They have to be anointed. That they have to bring in the glory when they walk in the room. They've got to be able to hear God's voice specifically. When we build a whole bunch of people pursuing those things... They may be missing the most important things. But if you're following the Holy Spirit, he doesn't miss one little thing. Even the ones you want him to skip by. You put your hand over an area and say, just keep moving, Holy Ghost. Don't look in that. Leave that alone. Just no, no, that's that's closed off to you. And he slows down and goes, you know, it's like when you catch your kids. You know, they come out of the kitchen and they, they walk extra fast and you can't see one of their hands. You know, you know they've they've stolen a snack. You know, and mom's behind them. You know, what you got? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, just keep moving along. You know, and you can tell the Holy Ghost all you want. Just keep moving along. Move along, Holy Ghost. Don't don't look nothing to see here. And He will always sniff those things out for you and from you. When my kids used to run by and I could catch him. Harrison would be really fast, but he was close enough I can put my hand on him and grab him and catch him when he was Harrison Harrison. You know, we always had to say his name twice because he never heard it the first time. But then one day I went to grab him and I I missed. I thought, what? And that little sucker learned how to be just the right distance away from me, just out of arm's reach. He had learned how far I could reach and it was just a couple of inches away. And I never, haven't been able to catch them since. <laughs> well, sometimes we're like that with the Holy Ghost. You get all excited about praying. And you go praying thinking you're getting a new car and a big house and all those things. And all of a sudden, 
you realize or your flesh realizes, oh, this isn't about the worldly stuff. This is about maturing and growing. Then all of a sudden you start to stay out of his reach. Like, I'll give you this and this, but I'm not going to give you that and that. And these are things that make us feel secure, but it's really making your flesh feel secure. But when God is all you have, he's all you need. I truly believe that it's the most difficult thing to get there if you try to do it on your own. Deception is in there when you try to do it on your own. The enemy will pretend to be God. Your flesh will pretend to be God. It's very difficult. I don't know if it's possible. But the Holy Spirit, he'll take you down a path where the things that you don't think you can overcome, he will assure you we can overcome this together. Jesus said to Peter, Will you lay your life down for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you deny me three times. So at this moment, John was already willing, able to lay his life down. But Peter was not. You have two men who loved God, who were disciples of Jesus. One went to the cross and was willing to die there at that moment with Jesus. The other one ran and denied him three times within 13 hours. What did John have that Peter didn't? Let's go, we're going to come back to here in a minute, but let's go over to John 21. Here Jesus had had died and the disciples had moved on. Interesting, they went back to fishing. Jesus walks up to the shore and they don't recognize him. Peter suddenly figures out it's Jesus, and I think here he tries to walk on water. I'll show you. I can see this. This is Peter. Peter, I love. Let's start. Well, let's start in verse 1, chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So they said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. So I can just see Peter realizing it's Jesus. And he can remember walking on water for a moment. I can imagine Peter. Now, I'm, this is preaching. But I can just see Peter after the moment he walked on water. Look around every, other day, every day to the other disciples. Did you walk on water yet? <laughs> but Peter, you sank. But I did walk on water. Me and Jesus walked on water. This is my own personal thoughts on this, is that Peter was like, oh, I'm the water walker. And he put on the outer garment, and then he plunged into the sea. Because if you're going to go swim, you don't put on your outer garment. You just swim. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits, draining the net of fish. So can you imagine Peter swimming in the water with his coat, his outer garment, not a coat, I know, but his outer garment, swimming in the water as they roll by him in the boat. He's <laughs> like, hold on, I'll catch up. At least I tried. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and the fish and fish laid on it and bread. 
Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net had not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And we know that he asked Simon three times, do you love me? And we believe that partly because he denied Jesus three times, that Jesus rescued him by asking him three times. Then uh, verse 17, the last part, and he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So in these few days, in these few chapters here, we find out that Jesus said of Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But then we see him say, when you're older, they're going to gird you and lead you where you don't want to go, signifying his being a martyr. So now he has Jesus saying, you're going to do it. You're going to die for me. Something changed in Peter. Peter captured what John already had. John already had it, and I believe it's what gave him the power to lay his life down. When you're following the Holy Spirit, he will take you down a path. This is for those who pray in tongues. Many people try to simulate this walk. By making a list of things, usually it's the typical worldliness things. They make a list of typically we'd call sin, world not good, not healthy. They make a list of all their non-Christian friends. They make a list of smoking, drinking, doing all those things. And they begin to check them off. I'm going to give up these things for God. But they don't go into the places that are hidden. They don't even know they're in them. They don't even know that how much of their personality is built on this false lie of who they think they are. A false lie of success, false lie of security, false lie of self-worth. They don't know where it is or, or even know how to find it, but the Holy Ghost does. See, when you start praying in tongues, he doesn't just mess with, I want you to quit sinning. He starts to go into areas of your life that are false, that are fake that are powerless to get you to God's plan for your life. And then he begins to ask you to get rid of them. He can't do it for you, because if he could, you'd all be perfect right now. I know there's maybe just a few of you that are perfect in this room. The rest of us have a ways to go. There's no competition in this walk with God. Step by step, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. And so I don't want you surprised when you start to face things and have to overcome things. I want you encouraged. Wow, he thinks I'm ready for that? (laughs) Praise God. Okay, let's go for it. So what did John have that Peter didn't? I'm going to share this with you. Verse 18, I'm back in chapter 13 of John. I do not speak concerning all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And when the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke, 
There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. And we know that John wrote this, so that's convenient. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. So in this, I want us to see the, the picture that's being laid out. They're all eating. And unlike the picture we see where they're all facing the camera, they're in probably in a circle sitting across from each other around the table. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, one of you will betray me. Well, they begin to ask each other, is it you? Is it you? Well, no one's saying, yeah, it's me. They're all saying, no, not me, not me. Simon Peter therefore mentioned to John, ask him. See, this tells you that John was closer to Jesus than the other disciples. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus said, It is he whom I shall give the piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But not the table knew for what reason he said this to him. So this tells me that John whispered to Jesus, Who is it? And Jesus whispered back to John where none of the other disciples heard it. As to whom I give the bread to after I've dipped it. Because otherwise, would you take the bread? It would have been a hot potato. They would have not, no, I think this is for you, Peter, not for me. And when he left, none of them knew why he left. And so what God showed me in this was that John, it says, was, had his head leaning on Jesus' bosom. Nowadays, we're a little nervous to be too affectionate, man-on-man, in public. But think about this. Here's John with his head on Jesus' bosom. This is a sign of affection, a sign of love. John, whom Jesus loved. Why would Jesus love John more than the other disciples? That doesn't seem fair, right? Because he's not supposed to love someone more than, than the other. But this is an affectionate love. John and Jesus loved each other. Jesus loved John more than the other disciples because John loved Jesus more than the other disciples. The Bible says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. John loved Jesus and at this point had already decided in his heart, I'll lay down my life for you. See, when when Jesus went to the cross... I can tell you why Mary was there. Because she was not about to allow her son to go through something without her being there. It wasn't about her being there. See, if you have to face death or to stand with someone, you can't love your life more than you love theirs. And that's a mama, right? When I suffered a stroke years ago, my mama figured out how to fly down and I tried to stop her. Don't, no, you don't need to come home. I'm going to be okay. She was there. You know, she's not, not going to let her son go through something and her not being there to show support to me. And it was her love for me. Well, here's Mary was there and John was there. John was there to say, I'm with you. You're not going to go through this alone. I'm with you. John loved Jesus so much that he already laid his life down. And it was that love, that affection. See, affection is different than I love you. Affection is I love you, I can't help but hug you. I love you. I want to be around you. I want to talk to you. I want to spend time with you. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to look in your eyes. When you're affectionate with someone, you can't be affectionate over a text or an email. It's got to be eye to eye, face to face. 
texting's not enough. As Gary said today, knowledge is not enough. And so as we pray in the Holy Ghost on this path, even if you're resistant to being affectionate with God, the Holy Ghost will take you there. And many times we resist the affection because it exposes more responsibility in our heart to be intimate with God. It it makes us go so close that we can't run from him anymore, that you can't be affectionate from a distance. It's easy to hide in a crowd of people and say, we're serving God, we're going for a revival. The church is full, the parking lot's full. Praise God, we're going for a revival. We're the team. We're the prayer team. We're the power team. Got little t-shirts and we're all part of the crew. It's going to birth revival. And then when people start disappearing and the crowd gets smaller, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's just me and you, God. Am I really on that path? That's one of the dangers of the prayer message is that you can live in the message of it, surrounded by it, but not pray. And miss out on intimacy. And miss out on the whole, the whole purpose is that God wants to take a group of people to individually grow strong in Him and intimate with Him. And take the whole group and lift us all up together. Instead of taking a crowd of people where we all cheer on someone, oh, look at him, lay his life down. You go, brother, go. Hallelujah. Me? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. It's not my turn yet. Holy Ghost, back off. (laughs) You know, so intimacy removes all your ability to hide. Intimacy is very intimate. (laughs) It's very close. It's very, you're vulnerable. It's like ladies, when you go on a date for the first time, maybe, and you get all dressed up and you... You know, they say when you go out to eat, you know, maybe you eat just a little bit because you want to leave a good impression for the guy or vice versa. The guy spends more money than he has because he wants to leave a good impression. Well, you're hiding your flaws. You're hiding your weaknesses because you might think, I'm going to get him or her to like me with the person I project. And then once he likes me enough, then I can reveal who I am. And then hopefully, you know, we're already married. You can't run from me then. (laughs) You know, when you get with God and he starts to sneak into those areas that you think are hidden or you think are too ugly for him to see, that if he sees this, he's going to reject me. He's going to kick me. He's going to realize I'm not good enough. This is some of the most powerful revelation you can have. That when you get that vulnerable and you allow him to go that far into your life, and you have a, a trust in a knowledge, my father won't leave me or abandon me, even if he sees the real me. See, that's intimacy, that you're vulnerable. He can kick you anytime he wants to, and yet you're totally at his mercy. That's trust. That's vulnerability. When I first started to Take time to worship God. Because this is what I believe John had that Peter didn't have at the time. Was John loved Jesus more than the other disciples. He was intimate with Jesus as far as his heart was open to Jesus. He loved Jesus. He was uh, affectionate with Jesus. Hugs. I'm a hugger. I like to give hugs. I like to say I love you, and sometimes you get caught up. I'll be talking on the, the AT&T phone line. Okay, bye, I love you. Oh, whoops, sorry. No, I don't, you know, just by habit, you know. You know, he was affectionate with Jesus. He loved Jesus. But see, when the Holy Ghost begins to take you there, because that's the power that goes with the knowledge, to face things of death, of mortification, God, if I let go of this dream, I have to fully trust you that you'll make it come to pass. I'd much rather keep it alive because I'm afraid that if I let it die, you won't give it to me. 
that takes affection and love and trust to let go of those things that deep into your life. Even the things that you, you've stacked around you that says to you every day, you're worth something. You're valuable. You're important. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your diploma. I read one lady, she was having really serious health problems. This is not from a Christian group. But the guy who was helping her get healthy was kind of a a guru of some type. And he said he went to her house and he said, you know, sickness comes from blockage, either physical blockage or emotional blockage. And he looked around and he found in the center of her house was a diploma from a college that she went to. And it was covered in glass and it was set center in the house. And she had got the diploma because her parents made her get the diploma. And she went to college and got a diploma in a career just to keep her parents happy. Because that's what they wanted from her. That's what they demanded from her. And that's what she offered to them to make them proud of her. But she resented it because that wasn't who she wanted to be. Well, this guru had finally said, I I think what I want to do is I want you to take that diploma I want you to go rip it in half, throw it in the trash. And she freaked out. She almost had a heart attack. But she did it. And freedom came on her. The pressure on her shoulders for all those years was lifted. Another story was a woman who had a child pass away at a young age, had kept the room exactly the same for 10, 15 years. And he made her go and empty out the room and give it all to goodwill. And she cried the whole time she was doing it. It was a death to her that she hadn't faced in 15 years, but was holding her back from moving forward. There's things in your life that you hold on dear that you think are keeping you safe, but really they're holding you back from walking into what God has for you. And the Holy Ghost will point them out to you. And when he does, it's going to take intimacy and trust. That God, if I give this up, are you still going to be here? Because if I give it up, you can leave me at any time. And when you don't feel that you're worth anything, he wants your self-worth to be from him, not from what you have in your life. I want to encourage you, as we pray in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will begin to lead you and bring things up in your life and ask you to deal with them. The reason you have to deal with them is because they're your problem, not his. Jesus has already conquered the devil. Amen. He's already conquered everything. So it's already conquered, but you're the one who has to mortify it because it's in your body that it comes from. So the Holy Ghost will begin to ask you to become more and more reliant on him. That's why we call him Jehovah Sneaky because he says, I want you to give that that up. But you don't realize how much you're giving up of your power to be able to run your life. And when you trust him, that time when it hit me really strong, I was at a point where I could either, I was going to run forward into what he told me to, or I was going to rebuild my past, my strength, myself, my willpower. And I said, I give up. Because I tried to find the old guy, the old get her done guy, Mr. Fix-It. And I couldn't find him. I could have resurrected him, but it seemed like it would take more strength to resurrect him than it would to take to just follow God into the impossible. And I said, I give up. I give up. I'm not going to be that guy, that preacher that's always striving all the time. Either we're going to do this right or we're not going to do it at all. And I gave up. And, I, and see, it wasn't me that got me there. It wasn't my analyzing, planning, my good heart, my good desire, it was the Holy Ghost that walked me there. He'll walk you there. And he gets all the glory for every good thing in our lives. Don't compare yourself to others. Be at peace with the path that you are on individually. Well, I'm called to preach, and the more I pray, the less opportunity I have to preach. I'm called to be an entrepreneur, and the more I pray, the less money I have. (laughs) You know, What's going on? That's none of your business. That's the Holy Ghost business. Your job is to obey. 
intimacy with Jesus, I believe, is the strength that will give you the courage to mortify the things that the Holy Ghost will ask you to. When I first started to worship, privately worship, because I could sing songs and get excited in the service, but that's not the same as intimacy. Intimacy is very nose-to-nose, eye-to-eye. It's very close. You're vulnerable. When you're intimate, everything's exposed. And when I get with Jesus and I begin to worship him, there's a vulnerability that's important, that I yield up my life. I open up my heart. I open up every area. And when I say I love you, it's a, I'm all yours. My life is yours. I hide nothing from you. When I first started to say I love you, it was very hard for me to say those words because I know what they mean. I said, I love you. And, I, and it, was, it was like I stuttered. Like I, who's it? Uh, the Fonz. I remember the Fonz, the TV character, the Fonz, trying to say, I'm sorry. I'm so, so, he can never say sorry. I'm sorry. Or down here they say sorry. He can never say, I'm sorry. He said, I'm well, I felt like that when I was beginning to worship God in private worship. I'd say, I and I was wondering, why is my tongue having a hard time saying, I love you? Because I can shoot it around easily. Yeah, I love you, love you too. Yeah. You know, but in intimacy, those words mean something. They hold power. And it's an invitation for the person you're saying it to, to come into your life. And to look around and see everything. And so when I began to say, I love you, it took a while for me to really honestly be able to say it with Jesus. That type of intimacy, he longs for it. Because it's the strength. It's what's going to give us the strength to kill the things that the Holy Ghost asks us to kill. Because where we're going is not where the church has been. The church has found a way to serve God, to pursue God, without the final work of power and intimacy. We have people chasing open heavens and angel dust and angel feathers and gemstones and gold dust and uh, special anointing oils and all kinds of things. And really, they should be chasing Jesus. But that's different. That's no one gets glory. That's just intimate. And Jesus is not interested in your flesh. He's interested in you. So your flesh has no motive to go with you to meet Jesus. Because it comes away losing every time. So let's spend time in worship. Let's open up our hearts. Let's not be afraid of rejection. He won't reject you. And trust that where you're going is very important. Where the Holy Ghost is leading you. If you're praying in tongues. If you're not praying in tongues, then your message to God is, I got it. I got it. I got it figured out. I'll make it work. And he'll, I mean, you still get to go to heaven, all those things, but you're missing out. Eternity's forever. Do you understand that this life is short. And the things we think we want to feel safe in this life for this short period is going to rob you from all the great things eternity has for you. All the great reward, celebration. Let's get focused on eternal things, focused on Him. Let's allow, let me rephrase that, I'm sorry. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to take us to that place to where He begins to ask you personally, Lay this down. Lay that down. We had one group, I remember, we got super holy. And we're like, I'm giving up this, I'm giving up that. I'm giving up this. I remember one time, so we're giving up social media for a month. Well, that's a good thing to do. But people came up to me, are you giving up social media for a month? I said, no. God didn't tell me to. You know? I was okay with until God tells me to. I was okay not to jump on the bandwagon. There's things you can do, you know, if we're going to call it fast. 
for 21 days, then it's okay for us to be challenged to go down that path. But you're allowed to hear the Holy Ghost for yourself. And he's allowed to go into your life and begin to ask you of things. Don't let other people preach to you your standards. Only the Holy Ghost can do that. And trust him as he walks you into your calling. Your calling, if the Holy Ghost leads you, will take you down the same path of all of us. Intimacy, mortification, proper doctrine. All the things that we all have to face, we're all going to have to face it at the Holy Ghost time. Thank you, Father. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have great, wonderful, glorious plans for each person that's listening. That you have not left anyone behind. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. That you're for us, not against us. And Father, you believe in us and you believe in the pathway, the unique pathway the Holy Spirit will lead us on. And as we pray in the Holy Ghost, we are praying out your perfect will. We're praying out the path that you've laid out for us. And on that path is everything we need to face, every answered prayer, every question we'll have is already laid out on the path that you've given to us. So we're not looking for another path. We yield to the path that you've given to us. We commit our lives right now to spending time praying in the Holy Spirit. We commit our lives right now to yielding over our trust from our own hands to the hands of the Holy Spirit. Father, we yield right now our hearts to Jesus, that he doesn't just have our our works, our time, our effort. He has our heart. We want to fall in love with him, more in love with him, that we love him more than anything else in this world. Help us get to that place that we would face and march to the cross with him like John. Help us get to that place where we see him more than we see ourselves. We need your help. We thank you that that is your plan. We yield over to it, and you are our strength. We desire to draw nearer to you, that you can draw nearer to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So be encouraged. Hour after hour of praying in the Holy Ghost, whatever the Holy Ghost begins to bring up in you is world-changing. It's life-changing. Don't give up. Amen. If you like prayer, please come on out to the green line. We'll be happy to pray with you before you go. Be released. Go change the world. God bless you.